0: a big milestone today for us.
1: Episode wow, 50. dude. That's awesome. And I mean, because we record every week, I mean well most weeks. That is almost one year in. I don't know when our first episode went live, but uh that is pretty awesome, dude.
0: Yeah. We missed a few weeks here and there, so we've probably been doing it a year and some change, but that's like fifty years in yeah, podcast years. I
1: don't know how many in dog years. dude that's (laughs) awesome that's a big milestone it's a lot of uh you know it's just hard to keep up doing this stuff you know every week and um now i have two podcasts and go rails and stuff so it's like a lot of recording these days but it's a lot of fun man i enjoy this so hopefully other people like listening to this
0: as well i enjoy it you because it forces us to talk once a week yeah and like, we
1: usually did in the past but it might go you know a couple weeks and be like how you been man and now it's a good right. really good oh yeah it looks like our first episode was published june 8th 2018 so we are well past a year now but yeah i'm with you it's it's like a a great time to catch up and whatever and just like regularly stay in touch and then hopefully stay in touch with, you know, listeners too, even though we don't get to hear them talking ever, <laughs> but
0: right. Yeah. No, it's good. Cause we haven't talked this week and then forces us to do yeah. it today and figure today's good. Cause we can just get in the weeds. It's just, yeah,
1: it is uh man. It's weird to think that it's Thursday this week already. I had kind of a, my, my dad's a farm manager at a bank and manages people's like farms that they don't, they own a farm, but don't like, you know, they're not farmers and don't live in the area or whatever. Um, And so yesterday I actually went to this like farm progress show in central Illinois and man, like, it is incredible. Like the autonomous um, combines and tractors and stuff they have out there. There There's some incredible technology happening um, in farming and stuff. Like it seems like it's still a ways off, but at some point you can imagine like we don't need farmers. We just need robotic machines going in and harvesting and, planting and all that it's pretty incredible there's like this mobile app you can take a picture of a kernel of corn or uh an ear of corn it will count all the kernels on the like half that it can see and estimate your entire like field yield based on one picture like that which is insane so it was pretty fun to like go see that. But it really threw my week off because here it is Thursday and it feels like the week's almost over, but it really also feels like Monday because I wasn't working yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I noticed you're offline. I was wonder what you're doing. Yeah. It was just kind
1: of a random, um, thing. He was like, Hey, you want to go? I got an extra ticket. And I was like, of course it sounds awesome. Um, you know, That's it's cool just to keep an eye on, Well, you know, like you might get hired to go work at Climate Corp or like, uh, you know, some some company that builds stuff like that. But um, that was a great way to like see it from the perspective of the farmers, you know, who are shopping around and buying stuff Mm -hmm. versus like us as developers building things. We're usually kept out of the loop of like what the customers are looking for on something of that scale, you know, so... Yeah. I I enjoy doing that stuff once in a while. Um, and it always gives you ideas of like, man, maybe you should just get into farming (laughs) or whatever, like, you know, (laughs) build software for that. Um, but yeah, pretty cool. How
0: how have you been? There's I'm good. Uh, I was sick Monday, Tuesday. My youngest had like the stomach bug all weekend and then I was the only other one that got it, which is good, but like but also Shannon, not good. poor Shannon. Yeah. She was taking care of essentially like three kids what? Monday and Tuesday. So, you guys
1: better now or?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we both rallied. Uh I was only sick like Monday night, which was, I was out a little bit Tuesday because I was just like drained. But yeah, other than that, I'm good. I've been going through a lot of personal changes, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, I've been trying to like pull back in a lot of areas. Like we, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this, but like we talk, you know, you and I, every week after we record, we talk for like 30 minutes to an hour. And it's always like, I just have so much I'm doing. Like I just say yes to everything. And so I've been trying to like pull back and not put so much pressure on myself. That's That's really good.
1: Yeah, that is, I'm notoriously bad for doing that too. And it's, uh, it is very tough when you overcommit yourself or whatever, even, and it's like, so it's like a slow creep. And at some point you're like, Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. But you know, it was like seven or eight, you know, yeses ago, you were like, that's where I should have stopped. But it wasn't until way later when I realized like, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done?
0: (laughs) I've made (laughs) a huge mistake. Yeah, I always want to do all the things like, so I, you know, I work a day job. I then have two like side projects. SaaS apps i've been building like with co-founders who are non-technical and like that really is a big time like commitment and then i want to do all the like open source things so like start pay with you and then uh start madmen and then like start jumpstart with you and then everything just like I always just bail out of those projects and
1: well, yeah, it's like, that's how many full-time jobs you just lifted it off there. You know, <laughs> like
0: without, without like mentioning like wife and yeah. kids and <laughs> yeah. like, Oh man. So I found myself in a pattern like the last year of just like always feeling guilty. Like I always, you know, I'm messaging you like, man, I'm so sorry. So sorry. I'm like unreliable, and like, you're always like, you have so many things. And finally, I like took in what you said. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I've been, I've been trying to cut back and not, uh, I don't know, not put so much pressure on myself, not commit to all the things and just try and be like good at a couple That's of
1: things. That's good, man. Um, I am a thousand percent in that boat right now of overcommitted. Um, just like. Well, even, and you've been going through the the trenches on Stripe stuff lately, but like that's coming up, it potentially affects non-EU based businesses. So I'm like working on trying, upgrading my Stripe stuff and, and go rails and Hatchbox and jumpstart and the Paygem and all that to support it. But, you know, that's on top of that, you know, that's the thing that's like thrown in front of you. That you have to like do, but it's not going to get you any features, you know, like this isn't improving anything. It's just like, great. Now one of our foundations has eroded away and we have to rebuild it, you know, and like (laughs) it is not, uh, it is painful when those things happen. And you know, I I like in the past, I was just a developer and didn't worry much about the business side of things and that stuff would happen. And I would just be like, oh, you know, whatever, we are going to do it because that's the right thing to do long term. But, you know, now having that perspective of the business owner as well, I'm like, oh, this really sucks. Um, You know, and you want to do it right away. But it's also like a thing that You know, comes up and you're like, we don't necessarily have to do it as US based companies, but seems like a very good thing to do. And it's something I can do screencasts on. And so I'll get some benefit out of it probably, but it just feels like extra costs, you know, and it's painful.
0: It is painful. And like, I've spent almost two months because it wasn't just like, just, Okay, swap over like SCA for us. It was get to the latest Stripe API, get to the latest like Stripe Ruby gems, so we can implement the new payment intent. And which
1: was like you had to upgrade a Stripe API version too, right?
0: Well, so yeah, we were we were a bit behind. So like I had to make kind of big jumps in Stripe API versions. And then what was it? Oh, yeah, Stripe Ruby mock. Yeah, they like, I know they're looking for more maintainers. uh, And I like, I can't imagine trying to keep up with Stripe's API. And
1: and to build that, to mock Stripe's API, you're almost implementing Stripe, you know, like on on a very low or light level. But yeah, you've got to, you know, keep track of, well, if we create a charge, then when you query the customer and look for their charges, it should show up there too. Which means we need to kind of store like a database. You know, maybe it's just in memory and as a hash or something simple. But like, you still have to keep track of all of that and organize it the way Stripe does internally and in, on some level. So, you know, I understand maintaining that is a huge pain in the butt, and. That brings up, uh, you know, for pay, uh, I believe we're using Stripe Ruby mock, um, at least for some of it, most of what we have is simple subscriptions and charges and stuff. So it's not anything too complicated, but Braintree doesn't really have an equivalent. And so, uh, for that, I just used VCR and recorded all of the API requests and, and play them back, um, Which, you know, Stripe has their test API and potentially, you know, that might be a better option for us to keep up with Stripe, um, changes to the API in the, the page M just so that we can say, well, we'll hit against the real Stripe test API, record all the API requests and, and, uh, you know, store those as replayable things for our test suite, um, have you guys thought about going in that direction at all? Um, Cause I don't know if I was going to ask to, if, if payment intents or anything were in the stripe Ruby mock at all yet.
0: I think they got merged in to master, I think, but it was after like we went through the upgrade process. So I experimented with going the VCR route, I probably spent like three or four days on it because we used VCR at my last job uh when we were on Braintree to do those requests to record them. And the problem we had was we had factories that were tightly integrated with Stripe. And so like requests that you wouldn't like think need Stripe make Stripe calls. Uh-uh. And so like I ended up with like thousands oh, of Stripe geez. calls. Okay. Uh, yeah so like we it's we've talked about how we're going to move forward with it um but it it just wasn't like it wasn't an option right then like to try and refactor that because you know like there's a deadline and so i tr- i thought about okay well fork stripe ruby mock and like try and make the necessary changes but like you said like stripe ruby mock is trying to essentially re-implement stripe at a certain level and it's not just as easy as like oh i'll fork it and make changes it's like a lot of conceptual things you have to put together and like that wasn't really an option either because that was going to take a while so i ended up just kind of <laughs> stubbing and mocking certain stripe calls uh, and just returning what i needed which wasn't ideal but it got us it got goes along.
1: Yeah. Kind of yeah that'll work you know in the in the current term and then you can make it more robust as you go further and that's one of those just trade-offs you have to deal with i guess uh as you go because you have a fairly strict deadline of september what is it 25th 24th fourth, fourteenth? oh boy i don't even remember anymore it's just i know it's looming ahead of me and you know, I guess I'm a little bit lucky in that hopefully I don't have to deal with it, but uh, I, I need to. So, I'll
0: tell you the thing that was an unexpected result of going to payment intents. So, Monday, I rolled out the code to go from charges to payment intents. And all things considered, it wasn't the worst rollout I've ever done. <laughs> Um, but we had one that was, I think it was like a fraud charge, but it was triggering 3d secure, like from a card in the U S and like, I was like, we, I didn't expect this to be a thing. (laughs) Uh, and so like we handle it now and then we're rolling out SCA code today or I don't like shipping on Friday. So probably today or Monday. But hopefully, like in an ideal world, when the SCA code goes out, nothing breaks until the 14th, right? Yeah. Uh, it just kind of.
1: Yeah. Transitions. Well, hopefully, you have, the, see what you know, ahead. several days ahead of time to have it in production running and verify working before the actual deadline. I don't,
0: I don't know how to test SCA in production, though. I have no 3 oh, That's a
1: great card. point. Yeah, if anyone wants to tweet their credit card number for us to test with, uh, just let (laughs) us know.
0: (laughs) But I am am so, so, so tired of living in, not necessarily just Stripe land, but just payment land.
1: Yeah, it is uh, a necessary evil, I guess I would say. And it's a little, I mean, payment's, felt pretty intuitive until this change. And now it's like, uh, just kind of a nightmare. Cause you have to deal with this. Um, you know, it's kind of, uh, their state now across your requests because you have to keep track of, well, the payment's not finished yet. Um, but you know, we have to wait until it is and keep track of that. And just makes it messy and the Stripe docs are referencing like the old stuff and the new stuff all over the place. And Mm -hmm. it it feels dumb that Stripe has that. And I understand why they do, because not everyone needs the new code, but at the same time it would be way better probably if everyone implemented the new approach. And then that was the only set of instructions. I feel like that would be a much, much easier um, for everyone because it seems like yeah this is happening in the eu but we also have now moved to chip and pin in the u.s and hopefully we'll add you know these same kind of sca things in the u.s because it's just good business like there's it's for protecting customers to make sure they're not getting charged for stuff that they you know just forgot about or whatever and and this is good for them and and so that's you know Good for business too, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot of work.
0: <clears throat> One thing I'll mention before we move out of Stripe land, well, I guess two things. Uh, the first is that there is a Stripe like mock API written in Go, like from Stripe. Oh, cool. And it And The only reason I didn't adopt it is because it has no, it can't, have any concept of state um which several of our tests rely on like a stripe state which is you know stripe ruby mock will hold that in memory like you said so yeah
1: that seems
0: i i seems
1: far less easy to test with then because you have to kind of simulate that and kind of the whole point is you're you're yeah, I mean, if it changes then in in Stripe's API, you're going to have to make sure your tests get updated equivalently, which is, yeah, a, another source of errors at some point whenever that changes.
0: Yeah, so I just kind of avoided that. And then I noticed you put in our notes. Uh, I read Ruby Weekly this morning, and said like stripe api gem version five I just <laughs> slam my head <laughs>
1: yeah place. i saw that there's some deprecations like some method dot all was you know renamed to dot list and a couple ruby versions are dropped and it didn't look like anything too big unless you were doing custom stuff with uh, faraday because they have dropped faraday in support of just net http built into ruby um so if you're doing any fancy connection stuff uh, under behind the scenes, which most of us aren't, um, but if you were, you're in for some troubles because um, because there's yeah. some configuration variables that you can replace, you know, like the base URL for the API and stuff, and and that's doable. But um, you know, if you had, and this may be more stuff that say, a Stripe Ruby mock um, or or equivalent might be overriding for testing or something. You can imagine that that replacement to NetHCP might be some work for anyone that's kind of built their own yeah. test tools to integrate with Faraday or something. So, I don't know. It, it doesn't look like it's going to affect me or, or most people, but uh, for the most part, it seems like it should be a reasonable upgrade. So, Fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. I feel like I just kind of like, I don't know who I am anymore because I used to like get so excited about like upgrades. And like, I am really happy that Stripe is updating their gym. I'm just like, I've been on the update path for so yeah. long. I just like, you're on break.
1: the, you're becoming a Debian user who refuses to upgrade any packages. <laughs> and it's funny too. Cause I had the same, the same thing for a long time when I was using Linux and stuff as my main OS. And, uh, over time, like you have more responsibilities. So when you upgrade stuff breaks, when you're new, you can upgrade and use the latest stuff because you don't have anything that's been running for 10 years or whatever, and, and has to continue running. You, you just have less responsibilities. So upgrades are easier and so now i understand that perspective a lot a lot better than i did you know 10 years ago when i was just in school fiddling around with software and operating systems and whatever it is much more crucial to keep things going safely these days than my throwaway apps back then
0: <laughs> yeah uh you was it this week release video on Real six multiple databases. Yeah, um,
1: it's mostly just a little walkthrough yeah. on the config and, and that um, stuff. But uh, yeah, it was a fun one to record, and um, is not quite as uh, complete as you would like to see it because there's no support for like, like right now, if you have a primary database and uh, two or three replicas. It doesn't really work. Um, it, it doesn't have any built-in load balancing. So you would have to set up your own Postgres load balancer, um, whether that's like an HA proxy or, or something like you have to set that up outside of your application, which is typically what you're going to want to do anyways. Um, but it is you know nice if Rails had a basic load balancer. There's no support for sharding and the, those sorts of things. Um, which is okay. Like this is just version one of all that. So yeah. Um, have Have you looked into it?
0: I haven't really No. I, the only thing was, I don't think, I guess it was RailsConf last year. Eileen talked about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's really. The only yeah.
1: Cause she did the only, she yeah, she did it. all kinds of work behind the scenes to make that happen. What's really neat is, uh, You know, you have to specify your databases now in your models and your database config um, is more complicated. And it's one of those things, too, where, like, in the past, you were specifying a database URL and you just had one. Um, But obviously, if you have multiple databases, you can't do that. So the new thing is your database.yaml has... um, under development, test, staging, production, whatever you might have as your environments. Inside of there, you add an extra layer and you say, um, here we have a primary database and here we have a replica. We might have another primary database and you you might be building an app that needs to access two databases. So you can define that in there and flag which ones are replicas and uh, Rails will know not to run migrations against the replicas, for example, which is really cool. And then you can define your migrations paths in that file as well so that you can have separate migrations if you're um, f- for your two different databases or however many you have. So you can separate all those out. When you generate a migration, you can define the database in the Rails generate migration. You do like hyphen hyphen database and the name and it will um, put it in the right folder and apply it to the right database, which is pretty cool. So as you can imagine, there's lots of internal changes, um, and, and all the core commands still work the same. So you can actually just run Rails DB migrate, and it will migrate all your databases. And if you just say Rails DB migrate primary, it would just migrate the primary database, which is pretty cool. So you can define... Uh, those names and then run your commands just against specific ones as you choose which is neat but I can't imagine how much work that was so props to Eileen for everything she's done and extracted from GitHub it's quite amazing
0: yeah I am I have an app on Rails 6 but I've been I don't really use the parallel testing like built in yet. Um, like it just runs like two like parallel test suites, but I can push more. I just got to figure out how I haven't even do looked you have into to it. Figure anything but, like, to
1: do that. I don't, I don't think I've looked into
0: it yet. I don't think so, but like my iMac has several processors and so Like I, I have the parallel test gym that came before this, uh, in the podia test suite and it runs like across all my cores and it's very fast. Uh, so I'm hoping that I can just get the same functionality with like out of the box, but I haven't looked at it, but it is a feature of Rails six. I was very excited about.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, just another dependency you can drop and use rails core stuff for, which is always nice. Um, I used to use like time cop a bunch in, in testing and there's built in stuff in in the rails test suite now for that as well. And it's just nice to keep it simple and use those things and, and have less dependencies to manage. That's always source of, uh, of pain. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, talking Rails six. I actually I got up, I woke up at like six this morning, which is a little early for me. So I was like, "Well, I'll upgrade one of those SaaS apps to Rails six because it was on like." Five, is that what you do when you're in the morning? Is just upgrade something? Yeah, that's how <laughs> I. Threw my coffee cup against the wall. I don't need you. I'll just upgrade Rails. Uh, so I. It wasn't horrible. Um, I actually had already upgraded Active Storage. No, that's that's a lie. I'd upgraded Webpacker to four already. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I needed something. That's, out I think, of that. probably
1: going to be one of the hardest uh, parts of the upgrade for most people. If you weren't using Webpack at all, that'll be tough. And then if mm-hmm. you were just. Upgrading it to from three five or whatever you might be using in the past to to four has little nuances of like oh those remember the dot babel rc files if you forget to delete those it still right. uses them instead of the babel config js yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so I I think I may have dodged a bullet maybe by already having that done but it only took me about an hour. And some change to get Dude, it. That's that's nice. The only problem I really had, uh, and I was being really stubborn because like I was having some trouble with how I had done some things in terms of like how Zite worked. Okay. And it wasn't like crazy things, it was like I had an admin namespace for helpers. Um and there's actually a really cool, like Zitework has a little command or like it's been rails, like Zitework check or something. And it'll actually run through your app. Like it'll load it up and make sure that Zitework can load everything as expected. That is it's very nice. cool. Yeah. Uh, so I like worked through that. I had a couple of other errors and I got it figured out. I don't remember what I did when I changed, but uh, I just, you can use the classic auto loading feature but i was like no like i want to go all in yeah so that was that probably took me like 20 30 minutes to figure out that's super cool it's good it it feels good it's
1: funny uh, and this is one of the things that would have been a failure with site work is on hatchbox i had named some module um but i had also done like the class uh version of it where it's like class module colon colon class name and that was also a module somewhere else with the same name and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) rails was totally fine with it i'm pretty sure but uh i was having these weird issues with sidekick where it would deadlock and it turns out that was that was the reason and it took me forever to find that um where it was like, oh, yeah, Sidekick just hangs. Um, There's no way to really find out why or what's going on. And uh, eventually I came across that and found like there used to be, uh, and I don't know if this stuff works anymore with site site work or not, but there was some code around and config stuff in Rails around autoloaders that were specifically for these like deadlocks around loading a module and a class like parent that uh, was the same name or whatever, cause it could conflict. Um, and I ran into that and finally solved it, uh, several weeks later. And I was like, boy, you know, this is going to be nice to have Zite being able to be a, something that's just a lot more clear about what's going on. And it, like the zeitwork code is actually surprisingly pretty simple when you look into it. I mean, it's doing a lot, but um, when you look into it, it's like, wow, it's not that all that complicated. Like uh, I would expect an auto loader to be doing some weird, you know, interesting Ruby things. Um, but I think it's going to be a really good, addition to ruby in general because you don't have to use it only in rails you can use it with whatever you want so i'm excited for that um but i bet that there are many little things that people have done that have worked in the classic autoloader that will have to be a change for zite here in the future so i'm sure we'll
0: see a lot of you know
1: issues or whatever come up in people's apps when they do the upgrade
0: I'm really grateful for it because like, I think it's going to solve a lot of problems moving forward. I I had a weird issue. Maybe you can help me with, and if not someone listening can help me with. So I have like a decorators folder, okay. an app and uh, I made like a concerns folder just for not actual like active whatever concerns, but just modules. But I wanted to follow the kind of same uh-huh. naming so it was just a concerns folder and like a nameable module. Um, and it was just module concerns because that was like the top level module name and or folder name and then module nameable. And when I tried to import that into a decorator, it it couldn't find the module. Is that... Uh, Is that a special
1: case that's handled in Rails? Because I don't think normally when I create a concern that I put it in a module of concerns.
0: So I wondered that, and maybe I misread the docs, but I'm pretty sure that now with a new autoloader, with Zeitwerk, they will be namespace concerns.
1: Ah, okay. Because... I'm maybe- pretty sure that there are some configuration things that you can do with site work such as that, where you could say like, skip this full, fo- like like uh, the app folders are one, you know, like it, 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 don't, you don't have to say module controllers, users controller or module decorators, user decorator, you know, it knows that that app Um, And then the next folder don't really need to apply to the the module auto loading. Like it doesn't require that name of controllers or views or helpers or whatever. So I I wonder if they also have an exception in there for the concerns folder. Like if it's named that, then you don't have to put it in the module. Um, I don't know though.
0: I didn't even think to like try and name it something else. Uh, I should do that. What I ended up doing was saying, is this a valuable use of my time? Because it's one method used in two places. I could just put that method in two places, which is what Mm -hmm. I did. And then
1: everything. Yeah. You should try that that and see if it works. Um, I remember looking into the Zitework docs and seeing that you can customize some of that stuff. Um, And I would venture to guess that Rails would have some config or something that says you know don't require a module for this folder for the concerns folders potentially i don't know but uh it is worth looking into just to see um because it does have some sort of rules for that because it's not like everything has to go into module app module concern uh controllers Application controller, you know, it, it already ignores those top two levels, um, of folder names. So
0: yeah, I need to give that try. It
1: makes me want to go boot up just a blank Rails app with work and then fiddle around and see, what you know, how it works on its own. Because I almost never, yeah. I don't think I ever, maybe I did in a few gems of setting up like the, because the active support. It was where the autoloader lived in the past. I think the classic one and you'll see gems like devise autoload, uh, classes and, and stuff, but I don't remember really using it too much myself. I mean, most of the gems I write just require the files straight off the bat, um, which might be a little bit slower for the initial boot of applications and might be one of the causes people will see on boot times being a little bit slower because you're doing a hard require every time. But uh, that's a whole reason for the autoloader. If anyone wasn't familiar with that, um, it just allows your boot to, to happen faster. So you, you only have to load a file whenever you actually request the class or module. Um, so that's pretty... Nice of a feature, but uh, it also is like a requirement when you have a large application, probably like GitHub or Shopify. Like you want to auto load stuff as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to hear what you ha- what you figure out on that, and maybe you can report back to us uh, next week on that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Ruby two six four two five six and 247. Do you know what that is um,
1: about? There was some sort of uh, security bug in RDoC, which I remember hearing about last week or something. Uh, oh, it looks like it is a cross-site scripting um, vulnerability or multiple with jQuery shipped with RDoC, which is bundled in Ruby. So... Um, I don't know what the solution was if it was just to remove jQuery and then uh you know use vanilla javascript or something but but I think that's what was powering the navigation or something or, or filtering or something in the rdoc generated files um when I, yeah, here it says jQuery before 3.0 is vulnerable to cross-site scripting attacks when a cross-domain AJAX request is performed without the data type option, causing text JavaScript responses to be executed. That sounds awful. Um, Similar, this is for jQuery 1.9.0. That's an old one. So, yeah, it looks like, you know, it'll be good to upgrade, especially if you're using RDoC. Um, There was for ruby 2.5 and maybe 2.4 um some bug fixes as well 2.5 looks like this release includes about 40 bug fixes after the previous release and the security fix so it looks like maybe it's the only one of the three that got some bug fixes but sounds like a lot so regardless uh upgrade those ruby versions i just upgraded um hatchbox this morning to include all three of those versions so um yeah. Update, update your production apps, especially if you're using our doc.
0: JQuery, the demise uh, of yeah. Ruby.
1: Well, it is uh, lived a pretty good long life and now it's slowly getting removed from everything. It's kind of crazy.
0: JQuery. I like, I've been one that, a am trying to like just not hate on things anymore. Uh, like, I don't even really, like, hate Stripe. Um, and I, like, in the past kind of hated on jQuery. But, like, jQuery helped me ease my way into JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, like, give a big old hug. Because I got by so long without having to learn real so JavaScript. So many of
1: us did, I think. And JavaScript itself was a pretty rough language to work with um, without jQuery. So there was almost no reason not to use jQuery. Because it was just gonna save you so much time luckily now you've got a lot of uh things that are better of course it's all still like something you kind of have to run through Babel though to make it browser compatible but language has come a long ways and still not still not super great but you know it's getting better so
0: it's a lot better to me like i also take for granted webpacker uh because like anytime I have to set up Webpack outside of it to like, I don't know. I always stumble somewhere and like Webpack you know, just works. It's one of and those things great.
1: that, you know, it's, I remember all the tutorials about Webpack were always like here, copy this config file or like build your own config file. And I was like, can't you guys just ship with some, some default config please? Like, why, what is wrong with having some default here and that was very well resolved by Webpacker I feel like for for Rails there were some growing pains with that of course but so far it seems quite stable these days
0: I think Webpack 4 might have solved that config issue like I think you can run Webpack 4 without like, oh, config okay. um, but by that point I'm already, like, mostly just building Rails app with Webpack.
1: Yeah, there's been a few times where I've used Webpack, um, I guess, for, like, the Tailwind CSS components uh, or, or Tailwind stimulus components, that sort of thing, where to have, like, a mm-hmm. static site or, like, a Jekyll with Webpack um, and use it here and there, but it was pretty sparingly, so I don't have much recollection recollection of like what I did to set it up, but I don't remember it being very bad, but.
0: Jekyll with Webpack is a thing I've always struggled on. Um, Like I've just never been able to do it. And I always feel like so stupid (laughs) when I try, but there's a, there's a starter pack out there. That's like tailwind Jekyll, something it's essentially like somebody has made a, like it, it's got post CSS, um, purge CSS, tailwinds, and it just like works. And it's got like s- just some bin scripts you can run, like bin setup and bin start, uh, and it just works. And so I've just that for my like static sites with tailwinds. I'll
1: have it's to try awesome. that out because my personal site is really old. And I think I wrote either, it may be using an old bootstrap, but I'm pretty sure it was like mostly custom CSS for everything. And I want to upgrade it at some and redesign it a bit. And, uh, it's not very mobile compatible right now. I noticed, but I don't really use it, but I do want to upgrade to like use tailwind and ideally run through purge CSS and all that. I'm really happy with purge CSS that we've set up for, uh, Jumpstart Pro, it just like strips out so so much CSS, and it does that too on Bootstrap, you know, and whatever you have. It's just a cool tool, and it works really well. And is funnily how it's funny how just like trivial it is, because it's like, hey, does this CSS selector appear in any of these HTML files or helpers? Yep, okay, we'll keep it and move on to the next one, (laughs) and it's just like. Almost stupid simple, but it works so well. You know, pretty neat. Cool. Um, yeah, my
0: personal site is using that uh, thing I was just talking about. That like, I don't know that I want to say like jump start thing, but that's confusing. You get what I'm saying? Uh, it's using that project, and I'm really happy with it. I built, so those two SAS apps I'm working on, I also did their marketing landing pages in that as well. And I'm just, that's happy. cool.
1: I'm going to have to dive in sometime and, and do that. If I ever have, this sounds like another one of those, like say yes, and just say yes, do another
0: project. What's the worst that <laughs> could happen? <laughs> so, um, while we're talking about JavaScript, have you seen trimming? Uh, no, Okay, so somehow earlier this week, my Twitter was not on latest tweets, uh, which is a shame. Uh, anything but latest tweets is a sham. So it was on like top tweets, but this time it worked out because Sam Stevenson had commented on someone's sharing of a thing called trimmings, and it is similar to like stimulus kind of ish and that like you set data attributes, but what it does is like give you some like basic functionality out of the box. So let me pull it up. It's Hmm. very cool. That
1: sounds interesting.
0: So there's a thing and it's, uh, you set this thing, it's trimmings current and it'll just look at the URL. And if it matches, what you've provided like what the link href is it'll like set a class of like trimmings current or something like that uh which is nice because it just works there is auto submit which you just put data trimmings auto submit on your form
1: oh like uh Uh, when you're typing an email and you pause and it auto saves that's cool i built one of those in the tailwind stimulus components i think um that will automatically okay. do that. That's neat.
0: Uh, there's there's several. There's hotkeys, so like you can set up uh. like hotkeys to do like events uh, just with data attributes. There is a remove, uh, there is a replace, and there is a toggle. And so I don't know, it just sounds like the I'm getting package crazy, I know, but it sounds like the next thing to add to like my Turbolink's stimulus mm-hmm. life is something like this because it's just HTML that get, means I have to write a yeah, lot less code. And it doesn't it's, it's that just much magic. It's
1: stuff that come in handy all the time. Um, that sounds like something I would use pretty regularly, so I'll have to check that out. It, it's it, it's, don't it's don't not built on stimulus though, right? Okay. I don't
0: think so. Uh, what is trimmings? It's just a zero configuration JavaScript okay, cool. library. So it follows in the footsteps of libraries like turbulence okay. and stimulus.
1: So, yeah, um, that was kind of like what I was trying to do with the tailwind um, set of components. Although some of those are not necessarily tailwind specific um. So maybe maybe that's something that I extract out into more generic thing, and you know have, have those typical components. And the Tailwind one can have specific examples of classes to toggle here and there because I have I have some of those too. Like a toggle where you might want to use it for a pricing toggle between monthly and yearly, and you want to you know de-emphasize monthly when you click on yearly and emphasize that like being able to flip those classes uh, whenever you click on something was the goal of that and it's not necessarily i don't know that any of the except for the default classes um i don't think any of it was actually tailwind really that specific so you could use them on bootstrap or whatever too i'm excited for uh stimulus 2.0 to drop which I don't know when it'll happen, but it's been, you know, finally in that PR got updated because that I looked this morning, that PR was updated uh, or created like November of 2018. So it's been a, almost a full year of sitting around. Um, So yeah, that should drop sometime soon. I'm hoping, and I'll do some screencasts on that. And actually before we recorded, I was on the, the phone with, avdi talking about um joining ruby tapas to do a episode on stimulus so you should see that Great. in the coming months um the process is longer than mine is with go rails where i'm like oh i'll do an episode on that this week and just sit down and do it and i don't <laughs> write scripts or anything so it'll be interesting to see his process because uh you know screencasting can go a million different directions and you know i've kind of Develop my own strategy for it that works for me and it'll be fun to record on ruby tapas and be part of that um because he's been making videos for so long and there's so much good content on there so if anyone hasn't checked out ruby tapas you definitely should and then if you want to meet avdi in person come to southeast ruby next year
0: Yeah, I don't know to I don't know if
1: we mentioned I think we do it again. Awesome. I know it was kind of up in the air. Um but I was hoping you would say yes.
0: Yeah, it's it's just it's another thing, right? Uh, but it's always just it's so draining then you get there and yeah. it's so much fun. So, I don't want to lose yeah. that this year. At and least. it's
1: just kind of one of those things where it's a good place to keep up with people and then meet other people and i always enjoy that like meeting people in person that this was southeast ruby was like the first conference i went to after go rails had been growing for a little while and it was so strange to attend and have like 25 people come up and be like hey man love your screencast and i'm like what like real people watch these screencasts that's strange
0: (laughs) Not just bots, yeah, you it's, money. it's
1: funny. Podcast feels the same way. You guys, um, not saying show up at our houses to be a live audience, but uh, it's certainly you know weird to sit in your basement and um just chat, but then find out that real people are you know listening and stuff. I'm sure that changes over time when you meet more people, but yeah, uh, for the longest time it always felt weird.
0: Yeah, I'm still not convinced. Even though people have told us, I'm just not convinced that anyone listens to this. Well, I, I think we just recorded record yeah, the board. I mean,
1: well, we're doing good enough for DHH to be on, so that's that says something.
0: <laughs> God, How cool is that?
1: That was fun. Um,
0: that was fun. I, uh, yeah, it was just weird to like, you know, it wasn't in person, but like you just sit down and talk to him for an hour. And he
1: That's kept cool. his promise from the episode and shoved uh rail six out the door <laughs> pretty much right away after. <laughs> so that was great. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, I have much else. I was just going to mention, uh, I did a couple of episodes on locking of database records, um, the other day. Cause it's kind of strange, but I don't think people talk about, um, you know, locking of of records in your your database. I I just thought I'd bring it up. But Rails has like these two things that you might have seen in applications before where like Basecamp's messages or or like their document things, whatever they're called now, um, are a good example of this where you open up one of those to edit and it says like, so-and-so is currently editing this just to warn you that like, if you make changes, you either cause yourself problems and you might lose your changes if they submit theirs or vice versa. And uh, I wanted to mention like rails has that built in where if you create a record, you can add a lock underscore version column and out of the box rails will detect that and then increment that every time you update the record. So if you add that as a hidden field to your forms, when you submit, if that version from your form doesn't match what's in the database, you can have it raise an exception or, or it will raise an exception. And uh, you can catch that and then warn the user that says like, Hey, this record's been changed since you started editing. Do you want to submit or, you know, override what's in the database or refresh and, and, you know, see the latest version of it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Have you ever built that?
0: I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could do that through a form. So my CTO at my last job, like he always, I always talk about how smart he is. He would always be like, yeah, you should lock this here. Like you miss this, this, this is the edge case that could happen. Like he could Uh see those things. So like, I'm kind of used to like locking records and things like that and really embracing transactions, but I didn't know about the other. Yeah. That's
1: really um, funny. cause mo- it's funny. It's, it's really funny because most of the examples are like, you know, just in the terminal. Um, but the real value of it is when you like embed that version number in the form. So then you could have that form open for a week in your browser and then submit it and mm-hmm. it will, you can warn your user. That hey, someone else changed this while you were editing, so just so you know, you can choose do you want to lose your changes or do you want to, you know, try and submit them? So, I did a screencast on that one. Um, so if anybody's interested, that's on gorails.com. And the pessimistic locking is one, and the names are kind of descriptive of what they do. The optimistic one is obviously like we're not really going to prevent changes and lock anything on a database level. We're just going to use that version number and check and throw an error if it it doesn't match. Um, so it obviously is kind of assuming the optimistic case that it's unlikely you're going to run into race conditions or, or something, um, or conflicts. And the pessimistic one will actually lock the record in your database. Um, And that one is for a different case because while the optimistic locking, you can put that version number in your form, which could be open for a week and still work. If you locked your database record for a week, you'd break that whole thing, your whole app for anyone looking at that record, um, which would be terrible. So it's more of a case where, You might be doing some multi-threaded work in Sidekick or something, and you don't ever want two jobs to be editing the same record at once. Um, That'll do it on the database level. So uh, it will actually pull the record and lock it. Your other thread will pull the record and see there's a lock, and it will wait until the first one is finished. And then when that first one's finished, it's built in, it will do the reload to get the latest data. Um, cause it knows it was being worked on. So it does the reload for you automatically and then lets you do your work, which is pretty cool that all that's built into rails. And, um,
0: yeah, we did pessimistic locking. Uh-huh. It's awesome because it's just dot lock. Uh, yeah. And,
1: and you can put it in a block and do, you know, extra stuff and whatever. Um, so if you were, for example, um, this is always the example, but if you're transferring money between bank accounts, you have to credit one and debit the other and you never want uh, that to happen two times where you credit one um, and then it like forgets the credit from the other transaction that happened at the same time. So in that video, I I showed an example of that where it's like, you know, here's what would happen if we tried to remove money twice or pay for something twice you know your bank account just kind of generates free money here which would be bad your bank doesn't want that so um i don't know i just never see anyone talking about that stuff um and so i thought i'd bring it up in the podcast just in case anyone was interested in in how you can lock your records from you know two things happening at the same time which happens a lot more than you might think
0: that's something you're really good at is like remembering things like that because I learned these things and they just become like, I assume everyone else knows them. Uh, so it's really good that yeah, you bring that up. Cause I would. It's
1: one thing you kind of learn and always is in the back of your mind and it just becomes like a de facto way of thinking. And you forget that like, Oh yeah, there might be a lot of people who don't know this yet or haven't experienced it because in development it's not likely to happen. But when someone's bank account gets an extra $250 in it in production, you're going to have a real hard time figuring out what exactly happened. Because these are, these are yeah. the situations that are like, good luck debugging that from your logs. You're never going to find that. So um, yeah, you have to be, like you were saying, your, your previous coworker was good at seeing those situations. It takes uh, some practice to be able to, keep those in mind and detect when that might happen and when you might want to deal with it. So yeah. Um, that is all I had for this week. Um, as usual, we've hit our one hour, no matter what we do and sit down, we're like always going to hit an hour. <laughs> so funny.
0: Yeah, it's good. Um, happy episode 50. Yeah. And, the big deal. uh, yeah, I have nothing else to say. Cool, man. Um, well,
1: maybe you can get a little bit of a rest from uh, Stripe SCA and all that at some point soon. Um, make sure you deploy everything tomorrow at 5 PM. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I didn't mention this. So I deployed the payment intent change on Monday and then I got sick Monday oh, night. because uh, of the change. I'm going to blame it so on Stripe. Probably. I blame it on that too. Uh, so Tuesday morning like I just I could not let my coworkers like have to clean up my mess. So like I was like on the couch like hunched over and they were like go rest and I was oh, like no man.
1: no. Well, hope everything continues to go better or you know, stays stays solid and doesn't get any weird. I, I it just seems like one of those situations where like yeah, all these existing customer cards we have on file are all going to fail. And we didn't know it ahead of time. And, you know, it just seems like there's some nightmare scenarios that might happen. So f- fingers crossed. If
0: anyone has to do any of this, you can email me and I am an open book on it. I know not all the right answers, but my brain has been so engulfed in it. Just email me. Yeah, I'll or Starbucks is it.
1: hiring. So if you if you just want to quit programming <laughs> altogether, you know there's there's other options out there. <laughs> oh <laughs> gosh! Cool. All right, man. All Good right. See, see you next week.